Hello again, it's Paul Scott here again for, uh, just for my, uh, my top fans, my super fans, here's a part two. All it was, I've just got loads of things jotted down on my pad from the last fortnight really that I didn't cover in the earlier podcast and I thought 55 minutes was more than enough for that. <clears throat> so I've just cracked open a nice tin of ice cold chisk, uh, the local lager here in uh, Gozo off the coast of Malta. It's too hot to go to go out and go walking or anything, so it's about 25, 26 degrees here. So I'm just going to stay indoors and talk about shares and drink beer instead, so I hope that's all right. Anyway, just a completely random hodgepodge of uh, ideas here. This is part two on, what is it, the 7th of Saturday, the 7th of October. Uh, now, HS2, the northern leg, I believe, has been cancelled. Um, I'm just wondering which companies, stock market companies, that might affect. I don't know if any of you have got any ideas on that, because I have a feeling one or two uh, infrastructure and staffing companies have mentioned in the past a positive impact from HS2. So if you come across anything on that, do let me know. I just thought that might be... Uh, something to look at. Now, a FTSE 100, I see, is still is, seems to be holding up pretty well at 7,500. Um, <clears throat> it's flat for the year to date, plus, of course, generous divvies with the FTSE 100. FTSE 250 is down a bit. AIM is down 16% year to date, as I said on the previous podcast. But there's a lot of rubbish in AIM. That's the thing you've got to bear in mind. Um, <clears throat> Stockopedia's got this great facility where you can, it's called, it's, on, it's under browse on the main menu. And I've just this morning, I've been um, literally browsing through that. And you can click on any of the main indices and then it shows you all the elements within it. And then I've done a little screen on it. It's really easy to uh, do that. I've called it the big movers screen. Uh, it's just, a, you know, a, a screen I set up. And all the criteria are so simple. You can do anything. I've put um, market caps over £10 million uh, and price change over six months over 20%. That's it. Um, and that shows me companies that have risen by 20% in the shares in the last six months. Now, there are 146 um, results. And then what I've done, I've customised the results. You can click on the top table, you know, the top, what do you call it, the, the, the header. You can click on that and you can customise it. And this is really good. So I've set it up to show me the momentum rank score, the stock rank score... Um, the price change of the shares over one month, three months, six months and a year, so four columns there for price change, the market cap and the price versus the 52 week high and the forecast PE ratio. So I've made this customised screen and I can then click on the top heading to sort it by any uh, of those criteria and I thought it would be interesting to talk through a few of these. So I've clicked it on price change over the last three months. So these are the shares over 10 million market cap that have gone up the most in the last three months. Now, the first one is Plexus, which is my biggest holding. Now, I haven't got a 675% gain on it because I joined the party midway through. Um, oh, sorry, it's just a fly. But uh, I still think that's pretty impressive. Um, and it's backed up by some very interesting 
um, RNSs. So I'm I'm hoping that's not a just a spike upwards, but it is very volatile, Plexus. And oh, there was an announcement from Plexus this week. I forgot to mention the other one. Quite a nice announcement concerning a, pro- a new North Sea project for plug and abandonment. Now this is a diversification of Plexus's technology and it's a big issue and it's a big opportunity because plug and abandonment of course is where the oil and gas wells have run their course you know and they um, <clears throat> need to be permanently sealed and Plexus has got really good technology for that and they announced not only that they won a contract but the contract's actually been completed to plug and abandon four um, North Sea oil wells and it was commissioned by a firm called Oceaneering which I googled, and actually I think they're listed uh, two or three billion market cap. I think it's based in France, or was that Technip? I can't remember now as I looked at a few of them. But anyway, Oceaneering's a, a credible oil engineering company worth several billion, and the fact that Plexus has pl- done four um, plug and abandonment jobs for them, I think is very encouraging. I think the contract was 850 grand, and it's high margin work, remember, Plexus is. So I think that really reinforces uh, that something very interesting, I think, is going on at Plexus. Uh, But it does need constant, not constant, but it does need regular updates telling us that good things are happening, of course. And Senkos is forecasting around just above break-even for the current financial year, which is a big turnaround, June 2024. We haven't seen the June 23 numbers yet, which will will be another loss. We know that already. Um, so I remain, I remain very keen on Plexus. I think there's something really, really interesting is going on there. But we'll, we've got to accept a highly volatile share price. I mean, it went from 23p to 29p in one day. And then the next trading day, it went all the way back down again. So I've been, you know, having kittens at the, because it's by far my largest position, I've been making and losing ridiculous amounts on a daily basis. But I'm just, I'm just blanking that out. I'm just saying, look, I'm in this for fundamental reasons. And I think it, uh, it's cheap, uh, currently on 23 million market cap. So I'm not budging on Plexus. I'm sticking with that one. And we just have to accept the volatility. Buyers seem to come in around 1920p. Um, and profit takers kick in at 28, 29p. So that's just the way it is. It's volatile. So Plexus is the biggest riser in the market over the last three months. Next one, Orcadian Energy is up 567%. I don't don't know anything about that, but it's similar market cap, about 19 million. And I think it's something to do with North Sea Oil. Next, we have Intelliquo, IQO, never heard of it. Again, at 18 million market cap, that's up 530%. Next one, same sort of price range, 16 million market cap. And this is after the big rises, remember, up 268%. This one's called Silver Bullet Data Services. No idea. Next one after that. Now, this is one that slipped through, Oxford Biodynamics, OBD. We were on this one when it was 10p a share, and it's gone up to 40p a share. But uh, unfortunately, I sold out, so I missed that completely. That's up 209% in the last three months. I must have another look at that. And then the bloody awful Optibiotics Health, OPTI, that's gone up 170% in the last three months. And I think it's heading back down again, looking at the chart. Absolute pile of crap that one is. Then you have STM, which is 30 million market cap. That's up 94%. I'm pretty sure that had bid a bid approach. 
Next one, the eighth one is my Celex technology, MYX. I'm on that one as well. I joined the party quite late. That's up 93% on quite encouraging interims, but it, it probably needs a cash raise. Now, the next one is the first sort of proper company. Pendragon PDG is up 86%. We were on that one as well, as I mentioned before. We bought on the uh, Crispin O'Day um, spike down at 16p, but unfortunately didn't hold it, and it's doubled um, on on multiple bid approaches. Beyond that, I'll do the top 10. So number nine is you. I, sh- I should do a smashy nicey uh, voice, shouldn't I? Slam Duncan into the tip parade, mate. It's you. Why you? And that's up 82%. Uh, 186, no, I can't keep it up. 186 million um, market cap. Now, I'm avoiding this one, unfortunately, because it's got up a hell of a lot. Uh, it's up 435% in the last year, U is, uh, making its money from reselling electricity and gas. I, I'm not touching any of those. I'm sorry. They're making their money from the energy crisis. And when the energy crisis ends, I don't see that these things have lasting competitive advantages. Could be wrong, of course. And then finally, in the top ten, it's Tribal Group, yeah, TLB, Educational Software. That one is up 82% in the last uh, three months, obviously on a takeover bid. So isn't that interesting? So you've got your real minnow microcaps that are giving you the biggest, uh, uh, the ones that are up over 100%. Um, obviously, those are pretty very speculative, aren't they? Um, and I'm delighted that I managed to catch the biggest one, uh, Luck, really. I, I, you know, as in it, I happened to look at that RNS on the day and thought, "Ooh, something interesting is going on here." So, anyway, I would urge you to have a play around with the screens section of Stockopedia and set up some of your own screens so you can start looking at um, big movers. I think it's quite interesting. Well, you can not just look at movers; you can look at anything. But setting up and customizing the view, the table view, I think is a feature I haven't really used before, and I think is very, very useful. Uh, for spotting opportunities, that's really what you use screenings for, isn't it? It's to stop. Um, it's to it's to it's to come up with ideas for things that might be going places and you weren't aware of. Now, macro the macro news. I won't cover much of this. But you can read it everywhere. Anyway, I get the impression the UK economy seems to be doing okay. And remember, the ONS revised up all the growth data, didn't it? So all these people who've been belittling Britain for the last two years, saying we're paying the price for Brexit, were completely wrong. The GDP data is now showing us in the mid-range of uh, all our European competitors. So stop putting Britain down just because you didn't like the way the referendum went, is my message. Now, China. I thought, oh, well, China's economy seems to be really struggling. Mass youth unemployment, apparently, over 20%. Um, Lots of problems over there, apparently. Um, I was thinking, well, how will that affect... Britain, you know, it doesn't. Surely it's good for us because it means we'll be able to buy cheaper goods from Chinese factories. But as we saw with Spirant, um, they blamed, I think, their profit warning on a slowdown in orders from China. So um, I just want to flag that point that maybe more at the mid-cap type companies, they could have, uh, you know, dependence on selling things into China. I wasn't aware of. Doesn't really tend to be an issue for the smaller companies or consumer-facing companies, though. Um, now, I've read a lot this week about bond yields uh, rising and rising, and that seems to be undermining equities, and there's obviously a huge drop in, in the actual capital value of bonds. Uh, my distressed bond expert friend says to me he's seen great value in, in junk bonds. Um, 
and that you know interest rates at some point hopefully will start coming down and then of course the value of your bonds goes up and I think you don't have to pay capital gains tax on it he was saying so uh, but it could well be undermining equities in the meantime and I think there's a whole wave a wall of money that's gone out of equities and is sitting in cash um, gilts bonds and so on where which you know people want to protect the value of their money and but at some point you know there's going to be a wall of money coming back into equities I don't know when though obviously but I think we are lining up circumstance of quite an exciting recovery in equities at some point no idea when and another obviously just summing up really obvious points another reason why equity markets are definitely cheap is because of all these bids these takeover bids every 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 week we're getting two or three of them coming in for listed companies um so uh, so who are the sellers? This is the question, is it? Who is selling their equities? Well, I think it's mainly, I get, I'm guessing, and the volumes are not that big, you know. I'm finding with a lot of my shares, you know, they frustratingly just grind down day after day, but generally not on big volumes. I think it's institutions um, raising money, selling for redemptions. But one of the readers flagged up that in the last two months... Um, UK equity funds actually started to see small inflows. So one swallow and all that doesn't make a summer, does it? But it's quite interesting if that continues and if we see more money starting to flow back into UK equity funds, we could see the institutional selling stopping. Uh, One share where I saw an institution had just dumped a big stake was Naked Wines. Now, I don't blame them, because I think Naked Wines is hopeless, but that certainly explains why there's been continuous price pressure on that one, that and the fact that its figures are awful. Um, But, you know, these institutional redemptions, it's just like 2001, 2002, exactly the same. Institutions were just selling because they had to. That's definitely a big factor, but it will pass at some point. I think the other thing is you've... um, I mean, what I found most frustrating in my portfolio recently, and it is very frustrating... I must admit, I think we're all finding that. We even experienced and wealthy investors I know are getting pretty exasperated because for two years we've been enduring this downturn in small caps, thinking, no, oh, it can't go on that much further, it can't go. And it just continues. And it, you know, every rally seems to then just roll over and get sold into it. It's debilitating, it's frustrating. What I find the most frustrating is holdings of mine where I know the company's good, it's put out good news. And the price just keeps dropping. The obvious one that everybody seems to be in and everyone thinks Jeeps and keep keep dropping is Card Factory, as I mentioned. But we know why. Um, there's a, the biggest shareholder is clumsily selling into the market. Again, it will pass. We don't know when. And it could all get taken out in one go. You never know if another institution just thinks, right, I'll buy the lot, maybe offers them 10p less than the market price to sell the lot. So these in, these overhangs can suddenly clear, you know, and that then opens the... And I think lots of people will pile in when they see the overhangs cleared. So um, that's why I like to get in ahead of the overhead clearing so I can get the volume I want. And not that I've got a huge position in car factory, but um, I can get the volume, I can get the stock. Often if you wait for the, the tide to turn, particularly with smaller companies, you can't buy the damn things. You know, that was... I remember that in, in March 2020. Everything turned. I closed my shorts on the indices. Had a big pile of cash to buy stuff. I couldn't buy it. The small caps. There was no, there was no stock available. The sellers were done. 
and everyone else is trying to buy. And before you know it, things are up 20-30% and it happens in the blink of an eye. So that's why I am staying fully invested. The other ones I'm really frustrated is with things like Zote Firm, ZTF, which I think is a really good company. It's just, it's just ground down from £4 to £3 on no news in the last few weeks. And it's utterly debilitating looking at it every day falling and you think why who is selling and why and do they know something i know i don't know i think generally in this type of market i would say on balance the sellers probably don't know anything more than me i think they're selling through a mixture of panic a mixture of having to sell for um client redemptions so it's probably either forced or, ir- or irrational selling, in my opinion. And combined with lack of liquidity and a buyer's strike, this is why I think a lot of shares, even in good companies, are, are continuously dropping, which means, um, on lowish volumes, which means I'm not, I'm trying to overcome my uh, emotions on this and trying to not get despondent and not think, uh, not sell myself just because the price is going down. I'm trying to rationalise the probable reasons why the price is going down, which is not rational, I think. In some cases it will be rational. You never know. That's the thing, isn't it? But I think if you pick a basket of 10 good quality shares, you know that maybe one or two are going to wall on profits. But you'll probably mop that up and more by the ones that actually say everything's fine and they suddenly re-rate upwards. So very tough conditions. Uh, but I still think conditions are building nicely for a really strong recovery because there's just this wall of cash outside of the market, which at some point is going to come back in. I just don't know when. I sound like a stuck record, don't I? But I genuinely believe uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing a PR pitch here. That's what I believe to be the case. Oh, AIM, as I say, I just don't think there are that many decent companies on AIM. I've just been having a look. There's 700 and something companies down a lot from where it used to be. And I, th- I was going through them one by one. And I thought, there's not many of these I would even, even consider buying, you know. I think it's less than a, less than a third, I would say, are, are you know, investable. Um, probably, probably a lot less than a third, actually, looking at the... Uh, list on Stockopedia, you can just click on AIM and see all of the shares on there, slice and dice it with filters and, and so on. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's not many. So I see it very much as looking, almost like looking for a needle in a haystack. But within that list of 700 AIMS shares, I'd say there's at least 100 really nice, decent companies on attractive valuations now. So 50 to 100. I mean, they're just off the top of my head, very rough figures. But it is, it's mainly a game of filtering and um, actually saying no to practically everything. Because why do you need to invest in things that, you know, have okay business models, that there's nothing particularly exciting about it? Why put your money in them? I think, for me, it's all about finding 10 or 12, maybe 15 of the best companies where risk-reward is really, really good and focusing my money on those. Uh, And I enjoy the process. I love it. So it's like doing a puzzle. So, But if you don't enjoy the process, then, you know, maybe just... Not investing in equities or buying a tracker or something is is, is better. Uh, what have we got? Yeah, covered that point. Oh, the new widget on Stockopedia show, homepage showing the the um, most looked at companies is really good. Have a look at that. I find that very useful. Now, webinars. I've been binge watching some webinars this week. I just thought I'd give you my general impressions. Five of them that came to mind. Port Merion. Now, I don't know. I'm. 
I'm much, much more sceptical about Port Merion after a disastrous profit warning over the, earlier this year that they tried to gloss over again. I hate it when companies do that. Um, I'm not convinced it's well managed, I've got to say. I think the acquisitions they made, particularly that wax lyrical thing, haven't worked out. I think they've destroyed shareholder value. So I'm a lot more sceptical on Port Merion now, I have to say. Um, and, you know, the, the webinar, the results webinar, again, seem to gloss over the fact that they've absolutely slashed their forecast for this year. And they're saying, oh, Christmas orders are good. They're up on last year. Well, why the bloody hell are the forecasts down by about two thirds then? It just doesn't come together. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, Port Marion could be cheap now, but it's dropped so much. But I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy with the communications or... To me, it, it, it's not logical what management are saying compared with the forecast. So I think I'm going to sit on the sidelines and just wait and see on that. Uh, Crimson Tide, T-I-D-E. Now, very interesting software stroke hardware, these handheld M-Pro5 um, products. There were some very impressive clients like Tesco and Morrison's. Uh, management slightly un- uninspire me. Um, but the, what they say about the outlook is quite interesting. And the market cap's almost halved. It's only tiny, about 11 million now, 12 million, something like that. It's got enough cash, nearly 3 million. The CFO seems a, a safe pair of hands. The um, CEO did bare teeth uh, once or twice um, in, when, when responding to some of the questions, which showed a bit of, um, bit of oomph. I quite like that bit where she was quite vigorous in responding to one question that she, she thought was... Um, phrase badly so maybe there's a bit more steel to management there than I thought uh, I think on balance I'm not going to buy any Crimson Tide because it's very very liquid and I'm in quite a lot of other very tiny things but I just wanted to flag it as being the outlook that was it the outlook and the orders and the customer list do actually look quite impressive with Crimson Tide so let me know what you think on that one I'm not 100% sure on that on it so I'm probably not going to buy any now I've mentioned in the other podcast Beaks Financial Cloud I hold that personally and I have been buying more I thought the webinar was outstanding um, really it's so much better than the trading update and the result statements you know you really get a flavour for they were apologetic about missing forecasts whereas they glossed over it in the trading update very badly I thought bad form so I think they're being badly advised so when you hear management tell it tell the story themselves it comes over much much better so I really like Beaks they've got a real bumpy year coming you know because of signing that Johannesburg um, big contract but it fell after the year end and you know they were saying look you know the, the uptake of it is already uh, really good they explained the advantages that they've got um, that they can offer clients that it's very good business for the exchanges to sign up Beaks and then re- resell uh, the, it, it's just really interesting I think Beaks 61 million pound market cap for something with a big moat that I think is really going places and the forecast this year are for a large jump in revenue you know and as I think it's Canaccord put out a note saying it's almost a call lot you're getting you're paying sort of par probably for what the business is worth now I accept yes it was overvalued in the past but it's made tremendous progress and the shares are back at a sort of three four year low so I think the price now at Beaks is fair but what the what Canaccord was saying is it's now you're basically a free uh, call option on them landing um, some really big contracts which are in the pipeline so you could quite consider I could quite conceivably see an announcement coming out saying we've won, we've won a monster contract 
going to be worth serious money and you know you'll get 20 30 40 percent gain on the day you know gapping up at the open so okay that's an optimistic viewpoint but management couldn't really have made it much clearer i think in the webinar that um, this is this stuff's in the pipeline so i want to be in beaks ahead of that happening i think it's now my second largest position actually the other one i've been buying is ms international so msi and beaks roughly equal second positions in my personal portfolio with plexus being by far my biggest uh, oh another one i looked at that a lot of the readers have uh, liked is journeo j-n-e-o this was the rather lackluster 21st century uh technology i think it used to be called it was a kind of also ran cctv company that never really went anywhere well anyway uh, the readers have been saying to me for a while that the new management are really impressive they've acquired some very good businesses anyway i think this looks good i have to say i looked i watched the webinar it's much bigger broader and more international than i realized they've got systems in airports as well they do these you know um colored uh message boards electronic message boards that tell you when the next train's coming or the next flights and, and, and so on. And they seem to be... Um, anyway, management talk a really good story and they seem pretty down-to-earth. They're the sort of... A bit boring, but I think they're the sort of people I would I would be quite keen to back. I, th- I do think Janeo's going places and the forecasts have, have gone through the roof. But you do wonder, some of that might be one-offs, I don't know. Um, the shares have done really, really well. I think it's probably fairly priced about now. So I'm not going to chase it up. I'm not going to buy any. Um, but I do think the big rise in share price has actually been justified. So well done to holders. You spotted that one um, a long, long time before I did. So uh, hats off to you. Kudos. Finally, MEX, M-E-X, which is Tortilla, the uh, roughly 80-strong burritos chain. I think this is quite good. Shares have dropped a lot, down to about 60p. I do like the management. I've met the CFO. He's a lovely chap, very down-to-earth, very straight, just tells it like it is. And that comes across from the CEO as well on the webinar. Um, It's really nice to see these guys. But they're in such a difficult sector. It's almost impossible to make money at the moment because of all the headwinds they've had from protein, uh, meat. Prices have gone up about 40%. They've had their energy prices go through the roof. The staff obviously have to be paid about 10% more. You put all that lot together and it squeezed out the profit, really. It doesn't, Tortilla doesn't really make any money. I know they like to talk about EBITDA. And yes, to a certain extent, that does approximate to cash inflow. But of course, the Tooth Fairy hasn't paid for the CapEx. Uh, They have. So we can't just ignore CapEx. But I think, you know, one of the readers summed it up best, actually, in Stockopedia. They said this could be a slow burn. It could do well long term. I agree with that actually, but I'm, I'm not in any rush to buy any. I think at some point I'd like to take a, 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 just a long-term position in Tortilla. Maybe when I've eventually um, sold my Plexus shares, once they've multi-bagged a bit more. <laughs> Let's hope. Really, just to reinforce again, I mentioned this in the other podcast, companies with debt, breaching covenants, saying they're going to need equity raises. These are the things we've got to avoid. They're by far the worst... Uh, percentage fallers, Videndum is an obvious one, XPP, uh, oh, there have been loads of them, haven't they? Synthoma, I think. You, you can avoid these things. This is really, I want to ram this point home. You can avoid them. It's obvious from the balance sheets that they had too much debt, all of those. And we flagged it in the Small Cap Valley reports. So please, um, this is where the Small Cap Valley reports are really coming into their own at the moment. 
Um, I focused on balance sheets and debt for years and years and years, and it didn't really matter when interest rates were zero. Now it's hugely important. You've got big, big losses on lots of companies, and it's it's almost entirely uh, where they have a nasty profit warning, plus that then triggers problems with their debt and potential equity fundraisers. They might turn out fine, but you're getting 60-70% hits on some of these things, which you can avoid. So please look at those balance sheets or just read read my stuff on it, because I've done the work for you. On every section I write, I look at the balance sheet and I flag to you if it's got too much debt in it. So, you know, um, that I think is very, very much the main thing I want to drum home to everyone. Oh, time and time and time again, I'm saying people are selling into big rallies. So, you know, if, if I'm, I'm now thinking, look, if I'm holding something that has, has gone up 40, 50% suddenly for no apparent reason, maybe I should be selling some. That doesn't apply to Plexus, but to some of my other holdings. Um, GIF Music springs to mind. You know, you suddenly get an over-the-top percentage rise for no apparent reason. Maybe that's time to, to take some money off the table in certain stocks. Oh, uh, switching from dead positions into better ones. Richard Crow made this point. I think that's a really good point. This bloody coffee can book about holding forever, I think that did enormous damage to my portfolio approach. I wish, wish I'd never read the sodding book. Um, cost me a couple of million quid, that book did. But anyway, all part of life's rich pageant. Um, so I'm much more amenable now to moving in and out of positions. I don't think we there's any um, particular merit in just stubbornly resolutely holding things forever uh, in some cases yes maybe but in other cases as Richard suggested you know if it's not going anywhere and the valuation is quite high and the news flow isn't isn't any good just chuck them out and, and, and look at something else that's more exciting and more interesting and more likely to go up in the short term obviously I did that with Pendragon and it <laughs> and it was a big mistake but look you know you can't get them all right it's just a game of averages ultimately isn't it you have to get more right than wrong, and then you do all right. Oh, here's an interesting point for you. A lot of companies, particularly large techs, uh, and are, are very cash-rich. So they've got huge cash piles that they're earning financing come on. But here's a point, and that is pushing earnings up very substantially in some cases, and the Forex companies are like that as well. It's fine if it's client's cash, but if it's the company's own cash, there should really be a substantial debit for the inflation erosion of the cash pile. But there isn't. So you could argue that where companies are earning interest on their own cash, that the financing boosting earnings is an illusion because there's an offsetting and larger uh, reduction in the purchasing power of that cash on the balance sheet, which is not accounted for. So that's an interesting point for you to ponder. I hope you've explained that well enough. Bond sell-offs, yeah, weighing on the market, yeah, we covered that. China slowdown, yeah, we covered that. Uh, oh, top-down, yeah, this is an interesting idea. Generally, I've, I'm a bottom-up stock picker. But I do think at the moment where you can quite clearly see some sectors struggling and having profit warnings and other sectors, like, for example, oil services, are in cyclical upturns and um, things are going well. So I think there's quite, um, just to put plant an idea with you, there's quite a, a strong case for actually thinking about doing some top-down stuff at the moment, I think, P- picking the interesting sectors that are resilient and recovering and hunting in those sectors for uh, interesting ideas rather than sort of standing, um, sitting in, 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 um, in highly cyclical downturn-type sectors waiting to be hit by a bus. 
you know, when a profit warning comes through. So, I don't know, food for thought. Oh, another thought. Uh, the flaw with the P-E ratio as a concept is that earnings are so volatile and so leveraged, operationally leveraged, that actually valuing companies on one year's earnings, whether it's last year's or this year's forecast earnings, is actually quite a flawed concept, isn't it? What I prefer to do is look forward and say, look, in three or five years' time, is this company going to be substantially larger and more profitable? If the answer is yes, then I think there is a case for kind of placing a lot less emphasis on the current P.E. ratio. And obviously, in downturns, often shares look very expensive on a P.E. PE ratio because it's a year of bad earnings and bad news, which would then, you know, you could see the earnings in the following year double or triple. So, um, yeah, just to put a question mark over P.E. ratio as a concept. Oh, and finally, a sort of political, geopolitical, macro-type point. Sooner or later, I think, this is only my idea, I haven't read this anywhere, sooner or later, I think political pressure is going to come to bear on central banks to lower interest rates and maybe even go back to uh, QE. Because, you know, governments, uh, a couple of the readers have flagged this, and I think they're right. It's going to dawn on governments and politicians that we can't afford to continue borrowing um, because they're all running deficits still. We can't afford to be financing those deficits if we're paying 5 6 7% uh, for the borrowings. It's going to just result in, uh, you know, meltdown because a lot of countries have got high debt-to-GDP um, ratios. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if sooner or later political pressure uh, could come heavily on these central banks and, you know, maybe governments even uh, over- overrule them and just say, look, you know, we need to take emergency measures to stimulate the economy and to get interest rates down. And particularly once inflation's passed, which it should it should do. I mean, all the indications are that it's temporary and caused by uh, supply issues mainly, co- coinciding with too much QE during when supply was constrained during the lockdowns. But that's all dissipating. That's all going. So I think it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if interest rates are actually pushed down quite aggressively due to political pressure maybe next year. And now, if that's the case... Whereas if the message of higher for longer, you know, that we're getting from this mantra from uh, Powell, the uh, Fed, and Andrew Bailey just copying everything he says, basically, you know, that could all go out the window. Uh, Nobody can forecast these things. You know, you just look at what's happened in the last year and nobody forecasted any of this. So I would say for that reason, I think it wouldn't surprise me if sooner or later we get political pressure to get interest down, interest rates down a lot which, of course, would be fabulous for equity values and for bond values, because when the yields drop in the bonds, the value goes up, and for property. So I think, I think there's a good chance of that happening, you know. That's, again, one of the reasons I want to stay in equities, and also because, of course, once interest rates drop, you've got that wall of money comfortably earning 5 or 6%, thinking they're safe, suddenly only earning 2% on it again, if that, thinking, ah... Right, we need to look for yields, and they'll be piling into equities, won't they? So maybe I'm just dreaming and uh, trying to be optimistic there, but I do think there's a, there's a significant chance that could happen. We'll see, particularly with elections coming up in the US and the UK. I don't know. We'll see. Right, that's it. Thanks again for listening. I hope this was of interest. And do leave your comments on Stockopedia. I read all of them, and they're, they're fabulous. They're mostly very, very interesting. Thanks, then. Bye.